with you. Reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Jesus told his disciples this parable. The kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. The foolish ones, when taking their lamps, brought no oil with them. But the wise brought flasks of oil with their lamps. Since the bridegroom was long delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, there was a cry, Behold the bridegroom! Come out to meet him! Then all those virgins got up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish one said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise ones replied, No. For there may not be enough for us and you. Go instead to the merchants and buy some for yourselves. While they went off to buy it, the bridegroom came. Those who were ready went into the wedding feast with him. Then the door was locked. Afterwards, the virgins came and said, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. He said in reply, Amen, I say to you, I do not know you. Therefore, stay awake, for you know neither the day nor the hour. The Gospel of the Lord. I mentioned it last week, I think. Go over it again. We are ending, coming to the end of ordinary time, a liturgical year. In an ordinary time, we've been going through the life of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew this year, and it's coming to the end. And in two weeks, we're going to celebrate Christ the King, the end, and then begin Advent. So in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus is coming into Jerusalem for the last time. The last couple of weeks, we heard that he was confronting the leaders and condemning their hypocrisy. And then he said to the leaders of the church that he was founding on Peter, that you must be servant leaders, and this is how you are to lead, because he's preparing for his departure. Now today, he's given another teaching that he will come at the end of time to judge the living and the dead. We don't talk about it much, but the true coming of Christ, you're going to hear a lot about it in the next few weeks. I think, every time I ponder on this, it is just an incredible thought. Jesus Christ, who is God and true man, into the world to bring about the kingdom of God in a powerful way. But rather than doing it like he will at the end of time, when there is no more time to convert, it's a judgment. It's a judgment. 
Passover and the first coming as a gentle baby to teach us gently and gradually how God intends us to live, what we need to do in order to enter that kingdom of God so that we can repent and be saved. It tells us that at the end of time, that time is going to come. There is a limited amount of time of mercy when we can repent and be saved. Now, this applies on the big level, right? So sometimes, who knows? Maybe Jesus will come again. But it also applies just on all of our lives. Because for all of us, that moment, we don't like to talk about it much, is our end time. And it will come. And our faith teaches us that at that time, what we have done in this life defines how we will live in eternity. But yet, we're the ones who are, by our response to how we live this time, determine how eternity will be for us. Powerful thought. It's really hard to wrap your mind around. But the two comings indicate God's mercy. Also, today's parable, Jesus is trying to warn his disciples about the downfall of his merciful plan. Here's the downfall. You see that if I am a person who has converted, but yet must still live in this world with much sin, much trouble, much anxiety, much burden, and Jesus delays his coming at the end of time, there's a danger I may fall away from the faith. I may not persevere. And so Jesus is warning all of us. Time is precious. We need to use this time to do what we need to do in order to enter into the kingdom. But also then we must persevere in that work. So the parable he gives us today is of a wedding. Now, the wedding feasts back in the time of Jesus are different than the wedding feasts we have today. Did anyone attend to a wedding feast in the time of Jesus? I, mean, I haven't either. But the little bit we read or might know, they kind of went like this. A family would arrange with another family to have their son marry their daughter. The son would be told by the father to go to the family of the young lady that we decided he should marry, proposed to her and get agreement from the family, and at that moment they were betrothed. That's a word we don't use nowadays, but Mary was betrothed to Joseph. Remember that? It means more than being engaged. It means they were legally married, but they still didn't live together. So what would happen is then the young man would go back to the father's house and build a house on the property. And when the father said, it's time, you're ready, start your new life with your bride, go at a time that nobody really knows, and retrieve your bride and bring her back to your home. Now, this usually happened after sunset. I don't know why. And the bride's groom would not go by himself. The wedding party would go with him. The maid would support And... He would retrieve his bride and bring them throughout the city from the bride's house to the bridegroom's 
out of the new house, and there would be this procession of joy that goes by people's houses, and people could come out and join the procession, or at least come out and say congratulations. And then when they got to the house, this is a family event, but they would, well, they'd have a big party. <laughs> now they'd also have husband and wife join themselves together, body, soul, and spirit, and then they would have a week-long, at least, party with the whole family. Time of great joy. Jesus is using this analogy to talk about our lives and to talk about the oil and how to be prepared to be part of this joyous celebration. So, when the five foolish bride virgins need oil because the bridegroom was delayed, what do they do? They ask the wise one to give us some of your oil. What's your answer? Well, it doesn't sound very nice, does it? Not very Christian. We can share with one another. I don't know for sure, but one possibility is that it's not that they're being uncharitable, but it's whatever the oil signifies is not something that you can just get like that. It's something that each of us must do on our own, and it's something that takes time. I say it goes like this. If God is being calling us to this intimate union with himself in heaven, our theology states that we can't go to heaven until we've been transformed into Christ's likeness. Not every Christian faith agrees with it. Our Catholic Christian faith says this life is about being transformed to become holy, and we don't enter into the fullness of the beatific vision until we are purified. Our teaching of purgatory is about, but purgatory is meant to begin immediately in this life. And we are supposed to, over time, open ourselves to God's Holy Spirit so that God may transform us to become like Him so that we may enjoy all eternity with Him. But that transformation takes time. And we must be about doing certain things in order to allow that to happen. And the things are many, but receiving the sacraments, participating in church, uh, learning about our faith, most importantly, praying, reflecting on our lives, trying to understand what is God's will, saying I'm sorry, admitting our faults, asking for God's help and others to become a better person. Over time, we are transformed into the one with whom we are united with in heaven. So, what is the oil? I think the oil is ultimately holiness. I think the oil is maybe on a different level wisdom, where we have the wisdom to know how precious this time is so that we can submit ourselves to the things and do the things that make us holy. But ultimately, God makes us holy. So, this time, this 
everything we do is important. And we can do things that really don't affect our eternal life. Or we can focus on what really does affect us. This last thing is I will leave you with before I finish. I know what I can say. This image works for men too, but it's really focused on the bride. Christ really is our spouse. And we are the bride of Christ. And Christ came into this world to propose to us, to betroth us to himself. Marriage has not yet happened. We are people who are committed to Christ and betrothed with him in baptism. And we will be fully united in heaven. So imagine yourself who is a young bride, and I've never been married, but a young person about to be married, yet still waiting for that time to come, with great anticipation. But what do you do in the meantime? I would think everything you do is focused on that future life. If you're working on becoming a better person, say, I don't know, very stereotypical image, a woman who cooks meals and cleans house. Very old-fashioned and it's not for you. But you would no longer do that because your parents are close to you, because it's the right thing to do. But you would do that because you're preparing to live and do that in love to your spouse. Everything about our lives, right? I'm not learning to be this worker or do this work simply out of obligation. I'm not learning to do the things that God wants us to do because of Christ. I'm learning to do these things because I want to share in the eternity of heaven with my Lord and Savior. So who am I doing these things? Becoming a better person to give myself more completely to God in love. Maybe that oil is simply that, the love of God that's been verified. And so God wants to give us that oil, that energy, that strength, that wisdom, that holiness, so that we will desire to be with Him but to live this life to its fullest. Everything we do is focusing on becoming that person that God wants us.